0: So, as we think about this, theft, I think, is one of the most obvious things. Uh, You shall not steal. You shall not covet, Exodus 20, uh, verses 15, verses 17. I want to note as well in Exodus 34, something that goes on there. Uh, It says in Exodus 34 and verse 23, three times in the year, All your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. Of course, talking about the feasts that they were going to be going to, the promise from God is that uh, no man is going to come and steal what you have while you're doing this, because I'm going to help you, I'm going to be there for you. And so I think one of the most obvious places is where theft can cause that covetousness. Uh, excuse I'm sorry. Theft is caused by that covetous. We see people stealing even today. Uh, domestic problems, of course, stem a lot from covetousness as well. Uh, you ask anybody who's any kind of expert in divorce or things like that. Usually, the issues in marital problems will revolve around money more than not, more than not. And uh, Proverbs 15:27 bears this out. He who is greedy for gain. Troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The idea that if I'm greedy for gain, this is something that I I want. My house is going to be troubled by it. You know, a lot of men in this world uh, work and strive to provide for their families. And, of course, that's a good thing. But sometimes uh, the wife, sometimes the children become accustomed to a certain style of life. And the thought is, if the man is not providing this quality of life, uh, this, this amount of stuff, this amount of things, these, these things that maybe aren't necessary, that if he's not providing that, then he's not, he's not providing well for his family. And I'm afraid sometimes we make that excuse to say, well, I'm doing this to provide for my family when maybe it's possible for us to uh, get by on less. I, I guess what I'm saying is that ultimately when we see domestic problems they do go back to covetousness in the sense that we're wanting something more we're wanting something different wanting something better uh first timothy six again uh speaks about all kinds of evil brother gary uh, mentioned that and you know the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil all these things you know come come about through it and there's a number of things we could talk about but i would like to ask you you know what are some some ways that uh, you know maybe other than what i've looked at where we see covetousness manifested in our individual lives. That's the bad thing
1: about covetousness is it can go. I mean, it can reach into any part of our life pretty much. I mean, there's no part it can not reach into our love of the world. uh, is basically what it comes down to. We have a love for the world. God
0: Yes and that's where that's where I mean it is a far-reaching thing and when we appreciate that then we can appreciate the fact that you know, hey I really need to deal with this I need to make sure this is not a part of my life. Any other thoughts on that? So I also wanted to make a point in terms of where we see re- covetousness in religion. And uh, to do this I want to ask a couple of quick questions really and make a statement too. Uh, most of the problems when we come in terms of what we do collectively uh, as a church, what we do uh, as, as saints together, most of the problems will come from I think coveting uh, not just our own desires but coveting the approval of men rather than God. In Mark 14, 1 and 2, we see the Passover is coming up, and it says there, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him, take Jesus, by trickery and put him to death, but they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. You know, we were reading this at the Pines the other day, and it just kind of struck me how here are the chief rulers the elders, the people that ought to be concerned, you know, what, what should they be worried about right now? What should their focus be on? Feast. On the feast, on the feast of Passover. That's where their focus needs to be on. Let's make sure we do this in the right way. Uh, King Josiah observed the Passover in ways that uh, had not been for generations. Right? He was focused on that. What are these guys focused on? Obviously, they're focused on killing Jesus. That's pretty obvious. Well, what else are they focused on? Their popularity. Yeah, they're concerned about the people. You know, while they should be focused on this important feast of the Lord, as by the way, if you read the same chapter, Jesus and his disciples—that's what they're focused on, making preparations for the Passover. That's what they're focused on. They don't care. You know, that's what they're 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 looking at. And so that singular focus is a really great lesson. So, but these people are focused on the will of the people. Ananias and Sapphira. What did they do? They took some land. They sold it. What did they do with the proceeds? Mm-hmm. Why? And I know this isn't literally said in the text, but what would be the implication of why they did that? To look good, to look good, yeah. I mean, right before you see Barnabas, uh, you know, giving all this, all his lands, you know, selling it, and, and and giving so much. There's a general atmosphere of giving. It seems like Ananias and Sapphira were swept away with the sense of like, well, if we do this, then we'll look good, and we want to make sure everybody, you know, doesn't think we're trying to keep something for ourselves here, and so we're going to lie, and they lied, of course, to the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter says, but you know, they were focused upon what other people thought of them. And let me suggest that when we, talk about, uh, when we talk about what's going on in terms of the religious world today, again, the three basic aspects of the church, our worship together, our work, and our benevolence uh, in terms of the ways that we interact uh, between each other and the work that we're doing in the, in, in the world, I would suggest that we need to ask the question, who are the true Pharisees of today? Now, anyone can be a Pharisee, right? If, you, if you're focused on adding to what God has given, if you're focused on uh, being needlessly judgmental on others without mercy, without, uh, without justice, without considering those right things, uh, you can be a Pharisee. But uh, we need to ask, who are the true Pharisees of today? Um, when we look at our worship together, Often in religion today, churches are thought of as social centers. Uh, The idea that you're going to go here and there's going to be these coffee shops here. There's going to be vending machines. uh, There's going to be all these places to make you comfortable, to make sure that you're okay. Um, Sometimes, even among uh, the churches uh, uh, of the saints, there's a recognition of worldly holidays. There's a recognition of birthdays. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong to publicly acknowledge those things. But again, we have to ask, what's our focus? What are we looking at? Are we looking on on serving God? Are we looking on pleasing people? Worship becomes a spectacle rather than a collective effort. A lot of places will have the rock concert atmosphere, the mood music and light effects. And by the way, let's remember, this is going on among God's people as well. Uh, In some in certain places, people going for that kind of thought. And then uh, I'm thinking about here building a physical temple rather than allowing God to live in the temple of our hearts. What are we doing there? What is the what is the thought or the motive often mentioned for devoting hundreds of thousands of dollars to building a physical building? I mean, I, yeah, exactly. And and I would argue that if you're not evangelizing in your old building, you're not going to evangelize in the new building. <laughs> And again i'm not necessarily camping on that and saying that we can't you know spend uh, a large amount on a building per se but i mean we got to ask ourselves why are we doing this what is the point of it what is the purpose of it when we think about the work that we're doing together sometimes we find in the religious world today that self-help or counseling is pushed as the purpose of the church now is there no possibility that a preacher or elders would be of use to family and working out problems or helping with counseling, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we're encouraged to do that to help each other out in that. But that's not the only reason we exist. The Bible is not just a self-help book. It's it's a communication of the truth, and so our focus can become secular. Uh, our focus can become on on ministries. By the way, you ever look at a at a website? And sometimes it's hard to figure out, you know, someone will say, so-and-so Church of Christ. It may take you a minute, but you know what I always look for? I always look for the webpage, uh, part of their webpage that tells me about their ministries. If a website of a church is advertising the ministries that they're doing, whether it's going to soup kitchens, whether it's doing this or doing that, different things out in the world, we need to consider what Jesus said in Matthew 6 1. Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I would suggest that a church that is advertising their ministries in that way has already broken the command of Jesus. Because they're putting out there, and I've heard it said, I've heard the reasoning. Well, we're just putting it out there so that people know that we're doing it so they can help us. Really. Okay. You're, you're advertising. You're putting what you're doing before men. Why are you doing that? You know, it, and, and again, we can use any kind of reasoning that we want to. It really comes back to covetousness in my mind because we're coveting something that the world has. And in fact, we might even say we're coveting things that the world is. Our purpose is as the church, is not to make the world necessarily a quote-unquote better place. That's not the purpose. This world is dying. This world is passing away. Now, we can do good things, right? We can help people, and we should help people. But our main purpose is to make sure that we're right with the Lord and encourage as many others to be right with the Lord. I'll tell you, we're on a sinking ship, right? And again, maybe that's a depressing message. I don't mean to come across as like super depressing there. But you think about it, we've got a better thing ahead of us, and we've got a better thing right now. And so, again, I ask what's our focus? We don't need to be coveting the way that the world does these things. We don't need to be coveting, especially, the approval of men in these things. Um, I would ask again, you know, in terms of benevolence, if we covet the approval of men, we're going to help anyone and everyone. With the stuff that belongs to the Lord, and what I mean by that is, you know, when we think of Achan, Achan took from God's stuff, the stuff that belonged to Him. God took, uh, excuse me, Achan took for His own purposes. And again, the distinction I would make here, Acts five four, uh, Ananias has asked, "While it remained, was it not your own?" So, while, when they sold that land, they had that money; it belonged to them. But once they gave it to God, it's something different. And we have to use it in the way that he has brought forward, the way that he has put together. So again, I, I think this is pretty clear overall, but I welcome any questions or comments on those before we move on. Alright, so I think I think primarily the ways that we can misuse things in religion can stem back to covetousness and of course in our lives as well. But let's talk about some positive reinforcement. Let's talk about what do we need to covet. Positively, And I think there are at least uh, four different places where uh, where we can see this. I'm just kind of going to move through these things briefly. Uh, if you would, take out your Bibles. Uh, well, have your Bibles out, hopefully. Uh, Psalm 19. And again, we, we won't necessarily read all of these passages, but I want us to consider... Some of these things. Um, Psalm 19 and verse 7. Brother Gary, would you read 7 through 11?
1: The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, than the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward.
0: More to be desired are they than gold. More to be coveted are they than gold. You see, again, covetousness is something that, you know, it's like anger. It's like something else where by itself it's neutral. The context tells you whether it's bad or good. And so, uh, in this, we've got a good thing that we're desiring all these good things of God. We're we're desiring the benefits of God. Uh, Proverbs 11. And verse 23. Evan, would you read that, please?
1: The desire of the righteous
0: is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. Okay. What's the desire of the righteous? It's good things. We want things that are good. And, of course, conversely, the expectation of the wicked, the, the thought that the, the wicked is going to have, is wrath. Uh, the sense that there's nothing good going to come. You know, nothing, nothing good is going to happen. See, that's the thing. That's sort of the other side of what I was saying just a minute ago. We're on a a lost and dying world. We're in a lost and dying world. But that doesn't mean that we're lost and dying. And we expect good things. You know, waiting on the Lord. To wait on the Lord is not just to wait around and say, okay, Lord, when are you going to come? Or that, you know, God's never going to. We mentioned in our uh, study of the minor prophets recently the thought in those that, you know, God will do. I think it's in Zephaniah. God will do no harm uh, or good this is God's, God's not going to do anything but the reality is God's going to do good things and we wait on him, we expect those things we desire those good things Isaiah 26 and verse 8 Ben would you read that Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Your name your memory is the desire of our souls. Okay. I like the way that yours yours put that, at least in that section. So the desire of our soul, the the thing that we're looking for in terms of our soul and our spirit is the name of God and the remembrance of him. What does that mean? If our desire is for uh, his name and the remembrance of him, does that mean that we want him to be glorified? We want his name to be glorified. We want him to be victorious. We're looking for these good things. We're, we're considering these good things. Uh, Matthew 6, we won't go there, but uh, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And again, it's this, this sense that we need to be coveting these good things. Uh, Matthew 13, 17, Jesus talking to his, uh, his disciples he says, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Again, this are places where that desire is not condemned. In fact, that's a good desire. So we need to be seeking out, again, the uh, uh, mystery of Christ, the, the good things that God has for us. Uh, Brother Gary mentioned 1 Corinthians twelve thirty one: desire the best gifts. And uh, also want to note in First Peter one twelve. First Peter one twelve. Talking about the things that were revealed uh, to the prophets before, and uh, Robert, would you read verse twelve of First Peter one?
1: Was revealed to them that they were not servants of themselves but you and these things which now have been pronounced announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels look long to look
0: they long to look at it they desire to look into these things so again just generally we need to have a sense that if I'm going to be right with God if I'm going to do the right thing I need to be looking and desiring good things Among these things as well, time with those of like faith as you. Fellow Christians, time with fellow Christians is something we need to be desiring. And in fact, you know, in in a sense, lusting after and coveting. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 22 and verse 15 about that Passover meal, he said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So with fervent desire, I have desired. With fervent covetousness, I have coveted this Passover to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he was looking forward to that. He was he was seeing it. Um, Paul in uh, Philippians one mentions uh, lost my place on my notes here. Excuse me. He mentions uh, being hard pressed between these two possibilities. Right, uh, either he's going to depart and be with Christ, or he's going to be there still and continue to work. And he says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. That's pretty challenging, isn't it? It's challenging from the standpoint that you think about all the things that are going on in your life right now, things that are swirling around in your life right now that you've got to hold on, that you've got maybe a plan for. How easy would it be just to drop it all and go right now? I'm not trying to be morbid, but we need to constantly have that in mind. And the sense that if that happens, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. First Thessalonians two seventeen, 17. Uh, but we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Again, Second uh, John 12, the idea that I hope to come to you and speak face-to-face that our joy may be full. Are we appreciating each other? Are we appreciating each other to the sense that even though we could be separated, we, we're appreciating each other to the sense that we enjoy our time together. It's not a burden for us to be with our fellow Christians. It's not something that weighs upon us. It's something that's free. It's something that, uh, that we can have A sense of accomplishment in, so we're coveting the time with those uh, other Christians, those fellow Christians that we love so much. This is a big thing too. I think we need to consider. We need to be coveting the fulfillment of basic needs in our life, and that may be. This this may be. It's a little challenging to me in a sense but we need to see that we have needs that need to be met in first kings 19 i'm just using this as a quick example this isn't on my powerpoint but you know elijah is running from jezebel and what happens he runs away he says god you know it's enough take me now i'm no better than my fathers what's the first thing that god does for him anybody remember off the top of their heads yeah he feeds him he he provides food and and water for him and what does he do next he provided a time of rest where he could lay down and rest and 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 build back up this energy and after this conversation where god really reminds him of his nature and who he is and reminds him that uh that there are still seven thousand that have not bowed the knee to baal what does he do then for elijah puts them to work. These are needed things. And we need to know as Christians that our state of mind, our spiritual existence, and our physical existence, of course, is going to suffer when our basic needs are not met. And I say basic needs, right? The fact that we make sure that we're in the right way. Uh, Just some quick examples. A person who denies themselves food to the point of suffering, whether starvation, uh, some people suffer from bulimia and things like that. We know that's bad. Of course, we know that too much food is a bad thing in and of itself as well. So there's this balance we're looking for. A person who denies themselves affection or attention and starts to think, well, I'm I'm not worth it. Or, you know, I'm not worthy of this attention. A person who denies themselves time with the Lord one-on-one. You know, we talk about me time, but really it's something where we need to devote time, just us and the Lord. If we don't have that, we're going to suffer. Jesus himself took time on his own to commune with his Father. We need the same. A person who also will spend all their time doing for others and never consider their own needs. Again, I want to stress this because, for example, in uh, Deuteronomy fourteen twenty six, uh, there's a point where talking about tithing, God uh, talks about how you know, you're going to come to Jerusalem, or t- well, he doesn't say Jerusalem, but the place that I'll, I'll pick. In, in Deuteronomy 14, he says you're going to take a tithe. But if you can't take that tithe, if you live too far away to take that tithe, you can convert that, right? You can sell it. You can take that money. You can buy something there. And he says uh, in Deuteronomy 14, 26, you're going to spend that money for whatever your heart desires. So again, whatever your heart covets or whatever your heart desires for oxen or sheep or wine or similar drink for whatever your heart desires. And so there was that sense where God was uh, giving them, at least in that particular case, leave to... Uh, uh, in that tithing to spend that money in that way, right? So that desire aspect. Ecclesiastes 2, 24, nothing is better than, uh, for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Um, so there's the sense where God's servant is looking at that as a good thing, uh, appreciating that basic existence. Also, Luke 16, 20 through 21, uh, Lazarus, it says this, this beggar named Lazarus desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He coveted the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That wasn't a bad thing, was it? Where does he end up? He ends up in Abraham's bosom. This is a man who was suffering intensely in his life. And he knew that he needed something else. And so I guess the the whole point, I don't want to stretch this out too long, but I think what we can do sometimes is to deny ourselves just these basic needs that we have. And deny ourselves in terms of the yes, sir. Well, I was just I was thinking this a balance of that. You
1: know, those basic needs uh not only more than that. You got yeah. Jesus in the model prayers. as you keep reading in that about not worrying you know you're praying for God to, to take care of you but he says don't worry about it or be anxious about it because he promises he will yes he said, look around he's taking care of everything else mm-hmm. surely he'll take care of those children
0: yes yeah. so
1: having faith in that and confidence in that is a big part of the picture of how those two
0: absolutely thank you and, and that's where we we have to define that right we have to define what that basic need is because you know we can say well I've got these basic needs I've got to have my TV I've got to have my satellite I've got to, you know no that's not basic needs that's not <laughs> yeah and we have to challenge ourselves in defining that um, but I guess what I'm saying is that there are times when even from good uh, motivations we can deprive ourselves of these things where we can see some examples where God is saying that it's good for us to be able to enjoy the fruits of our labor to enjoy what we have in life to some degree Uh, there's nothing wrong with that and we don't need to beat ourselves up in terms of that as well but we do need to watch of course for the other side of the coin you might say all right, uh, finally, I want to talk about usefulness in Christ's kingdom, which again, it kind of gets back to the good things. But in Romans fourteen nineteen, Paul says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. I know the word is not used, but that sounds like we ought to be desiring those things. We ought to be coveting the things that make for peace, the things by which we can build each other up. Those things are really important. And we need to be coveting that and seeking that. Hebrews 6 and uh, verse 10 God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and, and patience inherit the promises so desiring that diligence desiring for others to be diligent. Uh, coveting that, looking for that, hoping for that. Hebrews 11, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And that really just gets back to the core aspect of what we're talking about here. What are we to be looking for? Spiritual treasures. We need to be coveting those spiritual treasures. Uh, again, I think we can stop the coveting of the of the material things but maybe we're not coveting the spiritual things enough Uh, maybe we're not looking for those good things in our lives and encouraging others in that way as well